listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. You are not alone. Amen. Come on, somebody. You are not alone. If you don't hear another word that I say this morning, I want you to hear that. Because I do firmly believe it's not what we go through necessarily that takes us out. It's feeling like we have to carry it by ourselves. That the enemy leverages loneliness like no other thing. And I'm watching it happen in our culture. I'm watching it happen to people that you never thought it would happen to. And it happens when, when we go through something real and painful. And, and I'm not saying that the people around you will ever fully understand what you're going through. Because every situation is different. And everything is hard. And you know what? Here, I'll tell you again. The church does not exist to fix your problems. We can't fix your problems. What we're here to do is help you carry them. Because the weight of what you're going through, the weight of what this broken world will put on your shoulders, it will be more than you can bear by yourself. And if you're here today, can I ask you to swallow your pride and let somebody in? This church has grown to the point where I, I can't be there for everybody. It's just physically impossible. But this church has grown to a point where somebody can be there for you. It's not the pastor's job to take care of the church. It's the church's job to take care of one another. And we need to do that better. Because there are people all around you that are struggling with things. That they're trying to hide from you. And they walk in and you walk in and you put on the game face. And you, you act like everything is fine. And maybe you've even convinced yourself that it is. But it's not. This has nothing to do with the sermon. I'm going to go along again and the kids, people are going to kill me. But... You just need to know that. Because see, that's, the church exists for a lot of reasons, but, but it exists to, so that we have a place where we can come and we can actually bear our souls and be transparent and, and actually look at the people sitting around us and say, that, like, I'm struggling, I'm battling, I'm fault temptation, I sinned this week, I went through this. Like, this is, if, if we can't be real here, we can't be real anywhere. And I'm sorry that somewhere along the way that you were part of a church that created a culture that didn't allow you to know that. And maybe that's part of the point of this whole series that we've been doing because we've been trying to close the gap between what we say we believe and how we behave because I'm sick of hearing of how hypocritical the church is. And that's not a stereotype. It's a reality. We've said it every week that so many reasons why people aren't showing up here. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It has nothing to do with Scripture. It has nothing to do with God. It's because of us. It's because we have gotten it wrong for so long. And we have made people see the church and see Jesus as something other than He is. And the reason why is because there has been a gap for so long between how we live, how we behave, and what we claim to believe. And this, this series isn't to, to, cre to create perfection. The reality is, no matter how well we begin to do this, we're all going to probably have moments where people can throw the label hypocrite on us. 
You're never going to be able to completely erase. This is not about perfection, but it is about consistency. I'm not asking to strive for perfection, but what if, we, what if we make consistency a goal where I'm going to consistently live in a way that honestly and sincerely reflects what I say I believe? That's closing the gap. Because if we don't, we can never do anything good. As long as the gap exists in the church, our ability to really make a difference in the world as the body of Christ will be extremely limited. Let me remind you what Paul said in Titus chapter 1. It says, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Like they claim to know God. By all intents and purposes, they look like they know God. They show up at church, they do all the right things in some ways, but it's really just lip service. But by their actions, their actions say that they don't really believe what they say on Sunday that they believe. And because of that, they can't do anything good. And I believe in the church. I've given my whole life to it. I believe this place, and I don't mean this church, I mean in his church, is called to be a beacon of hope to our world. That we are the God-ordained vehicle to make Jesus known to this planet. And until he comes back, we will always have a purpose and we will always have a place. Come on, you with me? Y'all wake up. I know it's Labor Day. It's national. Don't show up, show up at church Sunday. You're here. You showed up. But he wants more than your attendance. He wants our attention. Come on, let's go. So we've kind of made a decision. Let's do our part. Let's close the gap. Let's be a body of believers that more consistently behaves in a manner that reflects what we believe. And again, we're not always going to get it right. And you're always going to have people throw that label around. We're going to talk a little bit about that in in just a minute. but, But let's close the gap. Because I hear people talk about the church and I see how the church is represented and how, and again, when I say church, I'm not talking about just Venice church, I'm talking about the body of Christ. The church is not a place, it's a people. And, that, and that's just it. Like, the, we can only close the gap on the perception of the church if every individual in this room is willing to own that. Like, like you represent the church. You represent Jesus like we all do. And, and the more people that sit in this room and rooms like it all across the world who are saying, you know what, no longer. I'm going to take how I behave and I'm going to bring it in alignment with how I believe. And I'm going to let these things equal one another. Where what I believe really begins to drive how I behave. What I say I believe about God and who he is and what he said is going to be seen in how I live my life. And I'm not just going to do lip service to this Christianity thing anymore. I'm not going to be just satisfied with, with, with Christian t-shirts and tattoos. I'm going to actually live out my faith. That's right, I said tattoos. Welcome to Vince Church. Stop. I ain't never coming back to that tattooed preacher's church. Okay. So we're going to bring it into alignment because I want us to be known for the right things. What if we could be a group of people that changed the entire perception of church and what it means to follow Jesus? Because the reality is in most circles, We're not known for what I think we're supposed to be known for. 
Church is supposed to be full of Christians, Christ followers, people who reflect the character and nature of Jesus. When I read through the scripture, I see Jesus as this loving and compassionate and caring, kind, patient. And what I've discovered is, is there are, there are a lot of words that are associated with us and very rare, rarely are those the ones. Matter of fact, there's two that I think have been, have become associated with the church more than any others. Demand and condemn. I think when people think of the church, they think of more of what we demand and how we condemn more than how we love and encourage. Come on, you with me? Like, I think this, these two words have become more associated with the body of Christ maybe than any other two words that I hear. That we demand this of people and then we condemn them for doing this. We demand they do this and then we condemn them for doing that. We demand that they don't do this and then when they don't, we condemn. Demand and condemn. Demand and condemn. Like that's become so much of the identity of our movement. And I think Jesus' heart is breaking over this. Because it's not just that we demand and we condemn it's what we demand and how we condemn that I think breaks the heart of God. Because when I, when I really look at what we demand and how we condemn, I think it's unfair, it's unreasonable, and often it's unbiblical. If you just look at what we demand, I think it's unfair. I think it's unfair because I think it's unfair that we demand others do what we aren't willing to do ourselves. Thank you, brother. <laughs> it is unfair that we demand from others what we will not do ourselves. One of the slights on the church is that is who we have always been. That we have demanded things from people that we ourselves are not willing to do. Do you see the frustration that Jesus had? It's funny. You read the frustrations that Jesus had with the church in his day, and thousands of years later, I think he'd be still disappointed because we're doing the same things. Look what he said. Look at Matthew chapter 23. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and Pharisees, sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but don't do what they do. But they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But check this out. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them on. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their paracletes wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the places of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. In other words, like they love all the titles. They love all the pomp and circumstance. They love all the, the, the glories of being seen. But the reality is they won't do anything. They look out there and they complain about all the problems that exist in the world. They love to point them out, but they don't want to do anything about them. May that never be us. To look at the world and talk about how broken it is, but not want to do anything ourselves. Amen. To watch the news 
Fox News for 15 hours a day. And talk about all these problems exist, but not get together as the body of Christ and strategically talk about what we can do to solve these issues. And it's, well, I wish so-and-so would do this. I wish so-and-so would do that. Why don't you do something? It's funny, man. People come to me like, Pastor Matt, will you talk to my dad about Jesus? You know what I say? Will you talk to your dad about Jesus? Because you already know your dad. I don't know your dad. Let's not be a culture that demands unfairly people do what we're not willing to do ourselves. Let's step up, church, and be who he's called us to be because it is unfair to point out problems and issues and demand something be done and not have the courage to do it. It's unfair. I think it's also what we demand is unreasonable. Because I think it's unreasonable to demand people have a change in behavior before they have a change of heart. I think that's unreasonable. I think it's unreasonable to expect people who don't know Jesus to act like people who do. Well, do you know what so-and-so did? Yeah, I'm not surprised. They don't know Jesus. I, when my dog barks, I don't go, <gasps> you know why? He's a dog. Dogs bark. People who don't know Jesus act like people who don't know Jesus. And we expect people to start doing certain things and thinking certain ways. and behave. See, because we forget who we were. Some of y'all have been saved too long. You forgot who you were before you met Jesus. You forgot how you thought. You got, forgot how broken you were until he pieced you back together. And you'll be the first one to tell me it didn't change until he changed you. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come and the old has gone. The new is here. So in other words, until the new comes and the old goes, changes don't really significantly happen. And for some people, it's unreasonable. Now, is it reasonable that people be kind and do some basic... Yeah, I get Don't. I'm going to tell you today, do not twist my words. Because you're going to be tempted to, to fit your own narrative and to make you feel better about yourself. That's what we do when we don't like what preachers say. But it's unreasonable to ask people to have a significant change in behavior until they have a change of heart. God changes us from the inside out. Now, when God takes up residence in your heart and you do believe him, it will produce a change. I firmly believe that. that when you authentically and genuinely have an encounter with Jesus, you cannot walk away the same. That he will change the way you think and change the way you see and change the way that you act. But that's another thing, too. Like, we also sometimes... We expect people who just got saved to act like they got it all figured out. Like what we demand is unreasonable. I think often what we demand is also unbiblical because we demand what God has never said he expected. We put demands on people that God himself never put on them. The church has been so guilty of this. 
We've told people, all right, for you to be a part of us, this is what you need to do. You need to look like this and talk like this and wear these clothes and listen to this kind of music and do these things and do that thing. And then maybe, just maybe, if you've done that long enough and if you've jumped through enough of our hoops, we may let you be a part of who we are. Come on. I mean, just think, some of y'all, like, I mean, it's, it's amazing what we've demanded. We've demanded that even churches look a certain way. For years, they, we had people tell us that we weren't a real church because we met in the middle school. I just want, like, God to give me five minutes where I can punch people in the face and not get in trouble. <laughs> Anybody ever have that? Like, God, just one, t- just one time. Just give me, like, don't even need five. Give me 30 seconds to throat punch this person. In your grace and in love. What was I talking about? I started dreaming about Pete. No, I'm just kidding. We demand, and see, this, is, this has been happening since the early days of the church. The church has been struggling with this since the beginning. If you go back to the book of Acts, remember, when this movement first began, and you had fir- the first people to come to know Jesus all grew up in the, in the Jewish tradition, in the Jewish faith. But then all of a sudden, the gospel started spreading, and the day of Pentecost happened, and, and people who didn't grow up Jewish, people who grew up non-Jewish, Gentile people, who came from different backgrounds and different cultures, and they began to, to come to faith, and they actually had this debate, like, like, what should we do with these people who didn't grow up like we did, who didn't grow up in the Jewish faith? Like, basically, they, they kind of were saying, okay, you go from pagan to, to Jew and then to Jesus. But Jew will be the bridge between pagan and Jesus. So, like, before you can get to Jesus, like, you got to basically convert to all the Judaism and all the Jewish law and that kind of stuff, which included circumcision. I'm out. Can you imagine you in line to get baptism? A guy pulls out a blade, like, first we've got to take care of something. What you doing with that blade, man? Come here, let me show No, that's too graphic for church. Like, they have this debate. And y'all laughing, but that was like a serious conversation. Like basically before they can accept Jesus, we're going to have to do all these different things. And so it puts the church in this, this real turmoil where they're having these intense debates about, well, what should we demand of people? What, what, what does God want us to do? And it, it comes to culmination in Acts chapter 15. And it says, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. In other words, he reminded you that, look, every person that has breath deserves an opportunity to know Jesus. Now then, why do you try to test God? By putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Like we're putting all these expectations and demands on people that God has not. And all we're doing is making it harder for them to come to know Jesus why are we demanding these things? And you think about, especially the church in the South, man, what we've demanded in order for the people to be a part of a church. You had to wear a certain thing. We've demanded, you know what, if you're going to show up in here, you need to put on your Sunday best. Well, I think God's just more concerned in our heart than he is our clothes. 
He cares about more of a surrendered heart than a tie around your neck. What if we made it? And now, we should, we should, expect, we should demand what God demands, no more and no less. And we started putting all these expectations and rules, and you wonder why people don't want to show up and don't want to do anything to do with Jesus because we've added a layer of demands that God never added. What we demand, what are you demanding of people that's unfair, unreasonable, and unbiblical? And all it's doing is creating a gap and it's keeping people from coming to know Jesus. But it's not just what we demand, it's how we condemn. How we condemn people is unfair because we often condemn from a position of ignorance. We often condemn from a position of ignorance that so often we see just a small snapshot or hear one single story or one sentence or, and we pass complete judgment on somebody's life based on a very limited amount of information. We make an internal an eternal statement about a small sample of information. We overhear something out of context or we catch a rumor that somebody said and the next thing you know, we've basically condemned them completely. You can never say anything good when you speak from a position of ignorance. We condemn people unfairly because we we make judgments on people's lives and behaviors and marriages and careers and money. You see how much money they spent on that? Did you hear how he said that? Like, how often have we done that? And it's just not fair. Ignorance. You're going to want to write this verse down. Look at Proverbs 18.2. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. If that does not sum up our culture in a phrase, I don't know what does. It says, you know, you don't care about what's right. You don't care about information. You don't care about knowing all the details. You just want to give your opinion. And you know what they say about opinions. I won't say it. Like basically, you don't care about knowing all the information. You don't care about actually walking up to them and having a conversation. Because, ooh, maybe somebody will see you talking to them. You don't care about actually getting to know the person that you're condemning and judging. You just rather from a distance observe and condemn. This is personal for me because it happens to me all the time. People say things about me or about our church and they have never sat in this room or had a conversation with me. A couple weeks ago, somebody in Dollar Tree overheard a guy say to the cashier, that's not a church, it's a cult. Never been in here a day of his life. Never heard me preach, never sat in that seat. Ignorant. And you know what really makes me sad is that church growth in our county is so foreign the only way to explain explosive growth like we have experienced is to criticize it. 
it's okay. People have done it to you too. Where they've said things and it hurts, doesn't it? Then stop doing it. Stop doing it. Have the courage to not condemn without knowing everything that you could know and assessing the situation. It's easy to condemn from a distance. It's unfair. It's unreasonable. You know, the way we condemn is unreasonable because we condemn people for doing the things we do ourselves. It is unreasonable for us to condemn people for doing things that we do ourselves. And how many times have we stood and watched a preacher pound the pulpit condemning certain behaviors that God's word actually does condemn, but then at the same time, they are caught up in those behaviors themselves. Romans chapter 2 verse 1, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you pass judgment and do the same things. Just because they've been caught publicly and you've been able to somehow do it in secret doesn't mean you get to condemn. We pass judgment, we do the very same thing. Jesus had a lot to say about this. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus just said there because we can really get this twisted. Uh, Jesus is saying it's unreasonable for you to grab for the speck while you still got the plank. What Jesus, Jesus is not saying it, nor the speck. Did you catch that? You with me? Say amen. Because this is where we can really get twisted up as a church and act like, well, that we're just supposed to ignore the speck. Jesus is not saying ignore the speck. You with me? He's saying, but before you address their speck, deal with your plank. And what we're doing is we're worrying about their speck, but all the time we're fighting our own plank. Because, see, I know we're going to get in this. It's easy to come out of this message and act like, you know, as a church, we never have the responsibility or the opportunity to point out God's truth. And that any time we do, that's judgmental. Jesus is saying here it's judgmental and it's unreasonable when you start pointing out their speck with your own plank that deal with your plank, then worry about their speck. You following me? Because I believe in accountability. But all the time, as a church, we're more willing to make accusations than offer accountability. Jesus saying, you know what? Before you start, it's unreasonable to point out their speck. When, dude, you got that big plank. You need to deal with the plank first. But we can't, see, as a church, we tend to kind of swing to these extremes. It's like, you know what, we, we either kind of tell everybody they're going to hell, or we just kind of tell everybody they're going to heaven, and we just kind of go in all these different places and that kind of stuff. And here's the thing, I, I don't think it's judgmental when given the opportunity to point out to people what you believe God's word to say about certain issues, especially when they ask you. <laughs> I'll have people call me all the time like, 
Oh, yeah, what do y'all believe? <laughs> a lot of things, man. <laughs> and what I've usually found is they're, 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 they're searching. They, they want to know my opinion or our church's stance on a very specific issue. And so what usually how I respond is, I, I tell you what, let's make an appointment. You come by, I'll sit down, and we'll have a conversation. And somebody recently called me, and it was that kind of thing, and, and kind of gave me some insight what they want to talk about. And I sat down with them, and they looked across from me, and they said, I want to know what you believe the Bible says about this. So she asked me her question, and I gave her my opinion. And, she, and as soon as I gave her my statement, she said, well, who are you to judge? You know what I said? I'm the one you just asked. Five minutes ago, you asked for my opinion. When I give you my opinion and it don't align with yours, it does not make me judgmental. Just because we disagree. Now, you can never use truth as a weapon. And the church is guilty of being right in a lot of the wrong ways. And we've used God's word to club people over the head. And it is not right, it is not fair, and it is not biblical to do that. But I do believe the most loving thing we can do is tell people the truth and love and grace but the church has been so guilty about paying attention to everybody's specs with so many planks still in us and maybe we should stop trying to police the morality of the world and get our own crap together Amen. and be who he's called us to be it's unreasonable you know, I think there's also times that way we condemn is just unbiblical because we condemn where God never gave a command. There's a difference between absolute truth and personal conviction. And it's dangerous to walk that line because there are some things that are absolute truth where God has drawn lines and it doesn't matter how far we move throughout time, those lines will not shift and we cannot shift them. It does not get outdated, they do not expire. And then there are some things that are personal convictions. There are some things that God wants, just me, just you, there's, there's y'all with me, you with me say amen? Like there are personal convictions, there are things that we have some liberty to kind of work through and figure out for ourselves, but what's, what happens in our culture is, is we're bad about making absolute truth personal conviction and personal conviction absolute truth. And the problem is we're not educated enough on God's word to know the difference. And if you want to know the difference, you need to get into the word and dive deep into it and study it and dig into it and let the Holy Spirit move in you and have conversations and get in a small group and have community where you can learn the word of God in such a way where you truly know what it says about all these issues because we live in a culture where everything is being tested. But there's time, if we're honest, as a church, we've just thrown our personal convictions onto other people. And just, and just condemn them when they didn't do things exactly like we did them or handle things exactly like we would handle. Like we've, we've just projected our personal conviction on them and then when they didn't respond the way we wanted to, we just told them they were evil. This, this too has been happening throughout time. Romans 14. Accept those who are weak in the faith without quarreling over disputable matters. What if we just did that? How different would the church, how different would our world be if we stopped quarreling over disputable matters? Not every hill is worth dying on. 
This is how denominations were formed. Because we started dis- the church started dividing itself over disputable issues that didn't matter. And God has watched it happen and said, you're so busy fighting yourselves, you can't really form an appropriate attack on the real enemy. To accept those who are weak in the faith without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows him to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. That poor soul. (laughs) Carnivore for life. The one who eats everything must must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Like it's unbiblical to start putting things that, to start drawing hard lines. It's unbiblical to draw hard lines where God has not, and it's unbiblical to start drawing dotted lines where he has not. And for you to know the difference, I could spend a whole series trying to walk through that. But own your own discipleship. Own your growth. Get into the Word. Because God is looking at us. And He's disappointed in what we, de- what we demand and how we condemn. And when what we demand and how we condemn is unfair, unreasonable, and unbiblical, we are not representing Him the way He wants us to represent Him. I know it sounds really simple and really crazy, but what if instead of being demanding and condemning, what if we really were just loving and encouraging? And for some of y'all, I think all that's pie in the sky. Loving people is not easy. And the most loving thing you can do is give people truth and grace. And encouraging people to find Jesus is not always clean and nice and neat and tidy. Sometimes it's really messy. And we will never be able to fully shed the label of hypocrite. But can we try? to close the gap because we live in a world that desperately needs Jesus and we are the ones that he has designed be his voice his hands, his feet I hope this series has challenged you because it has challenged me it's made me uncomfortable and at times broken because of the way I've contributed to that stereotype, that reality. But this world needs Jesus. And for somebody, you're the only Jesus they're ever going to see. Let's represent him well. Stand with me. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Father, I pray right now in this moment that you would challenge us that you would help us all to take a good, hard look at ourselves, to examine our motives and our intentions, to see where we are demanding from others and condemning others in a way that is not fair, reasonable, or biblical. And help us to demonstrate your love to the people that we come in contact with in a way that brings you honor and glory and draws people to yourself. God, I pray that you would just use this time as we worship you now to speak to our hearts and challenge us to respond however you would lead us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.